0: Before I read the scripture, let me take a moment of personal um, note. Uh, Thank you, Dennis, for your kindness. Uh, Also, I didn't write the last line in my biography. He did. Okay, thank you very much for the kind words you wrote. Uh, I have gotten to know Dennis over the last, really, decade. There's a group of us, four ministers, who used to meet in person. Then COVID came. Then some of us retired, and some went to the Midwest. But we meet just about every month on Zoom and uh, we look forward to seeing each other. To give you a range of ages, I am the oldest by far. He is the young whippersnapper, so that gives you (laughs) an idea. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Before I begin, the guest preacher, I'm not your pastor. Uh, No one in my family is a member of your church. But I've had a chance to sort of reflect on this congregation, your history, and you're gonna get an earful What a wonderful congregation. And if you're a member of this church, what a heritage you were part of. If you're one of the pastors, think about those who went before you. And when you come forward to bring your gifts, realize there's a cloud of witnesses that went before you. You'll get an ear fill. Let us pray. Dear God, as we listen for your message, Help us, Lord, to remember that the ancient Israelites thanked you, but they did so in remembering. May we do that, and may we understand through this scripture, it still goes on. Amen. This is from the book of Deuteronomy, which literally means Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law. Um, It's the fifth book in the Torah. And sometimes we don't read it very much but what you get is an insight into what life was like in the promised land after it was settled chapter 26 is a thanksgiving ceremony it's when the farmers would bring their first fruits and they bring them to the priest but they didn't just leave them they had to remember something a creed it's called a historical credo they had to tell him this is who I am and this is what I believe. And then after that, they could leave their sheaves of grain or their, whatever they brought. So I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with the first verse. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you'll take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land That the lord your god is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the lord your god will choose as a dwelling for his name you shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to them today i declare to the lord your god that i have come into the land that the lord swore to our ancestors to give us when the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the lord your god you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. We went down into Egypt, lived as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. And the Lord heard our cries. The Lord saw our affliction. And the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with a terrifying display of power with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing in milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story goes that there was an airplane in all kinds of trouble, a lot of turbulence, and the people were afraid it was gonna go down. The stewardess was trying to calm people to no avail. Nothing worked. She looked out and she saw a man with a collar, and she must be a minister. So she said, reverend, would you come forward and just do something religious. He came up forward, and he took an offering. (laughs) That's worked for 45 years. It's a great story. Why do we laugh? Is an offering a religious thing? You know, sometimes the offering gets lost, doesn't it? And then certainly on Consecration Sunday, and I'm grateful you asked me to do this, you're, for those of you who are coming forward, you know, you're not bringing you know, sheaves of grass, or you're bringing pledge cards, right? And the pledge card sometimes is seen as, you know, the reason we do it in the fall is because we've got budgets to make, right? And we've got line items to fill. And sometimes it feels like that, that this time when we bring forward those pledge cards, that it's really not that big a deal. I would submit to you, and I'm going to argue today, that the offering and the bringing forward of those gifts goes way back to the ancient Hebrews. And it's a way in which we affirm to the world with our pledges, with our offerings, this is who we are. And this is what we believe. Now, looking at the passage I read from Deuteronomy, it goes way, way, way back. It was what life was like after they settled in the Promised Land. So, bringing forward your gift to the priest, you had to memorize, we're talking, this is like, you better know the Apostles' Creed or you look funny on Sunday, right? You need to know this story, and what's the story? The story is the story of the Exodus. Who is the wandering Aramean? It's Jacob. He went out into Egypt, few in number. Got to remember this story. And they became populous, and there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Jacob or Joseph, and he turned them into slaves. What are the chances that they would escape slavery? But they prayed to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And in doing so, that God heard their cries, saw their affliction, and brought them out of slavery into a land flowing in milk and honey. And after they had said that, and they needed to know it by heart, then they could give their gifts. We're not going to make it that complicated for you today. But it was all about remembering. I don't know about you, but the older I get, I'm worried about not remembering things. Even preparing for sermons, this is hard. I forgot how hard this is. Remembering. You know, sometimes I don't know where I have put my keys or or my wallet. I remember years ago, I went to see Mary, a member of our church, when I was at Chatham. She was a charter member. She had great stories. Some I wanted to know and some I didn't want to know, but she'd tell them to me. But what I do remember about her was she had a great memory until late in her life. I went and visited her in a memory care section of a nursing home. And if you came early in the afternoon, it was great because she would remember a lot and you'd get some stories. But later in the day, it was harder. On this particular time, I was talking to her and... I was going to leave, and I said, i got to go, Mary. And she said, I just wanted you. She turned to the woman next to her and said, I want you to meet my mother. It was a resident. My stomach dropped, and I felt bad because I'd lost her. But I get her the next time. Do you worry about your memory sometimes? You know, it gets hard sometimes to remember things. I don't know. I, I used to be able to in my younger days I could rattle off all of the Academy Award winners uh, for best picture um, from 1927 to the present. I get lost in the 60s now I don't remember them. There are times I can't remember directions, names, nouns, All, all kinds of things are really difficult. And then there are the times where I'm in the garage and I don't know why I'm in the garage. The remembering I'm talking about here is something truly significant. It has to do with remembering the past and realizing that you didn't just get here on your own. That not only God was there, but somebody else was there before you. That's what this creed is about. It begins with God. Ancient Hebrews believed that God was at the center of their life, their life depended upon it. And they prayed to God, all the time, because they believed that all that they had and all that they were came from God. They didn't just pray, for example, at the harvest. They prayed all the time. They prayed, for example, at every meal. How many of us say grace anymore? How many of us used to sit at a table? That's why I loved your things about tables. We don't. This is a story about a family wasn't coming to church very often. Husband and wife didn't, they had a seven-year-old boy. So the minister called up the woman and said that he wanted to come over for dinner. Could he come for dinner and bring a couple of elders? Try that for pastoral care. <laughs> so shows up. They talk for a period of time, and um, it's time to sit around the table. And you know, this family doesn't go to church very much, and they're sitting there. And the mother says to the reverend, "Could you just say?" a word of thanks, and he said, you know, I say it all the time, let's see if Mikey, the seven-year-old, will say something. He looks at his mother, because he wouldn't know a grace if he tri- tripped over it, and says, Mom, what should I say? To which he said, just say what Mama says. He bows his head and says, good God, why did these people come for dinner? <laughs> You ever get that one? (laughs) We don't say grace is a way of saying that the God who created us provides for us. They got that. But they say something else in this thing was really profound. That in their worst time when they were slaves, God heard their cries, saw their affliction, and brought them out of their slavery into freedom, into the promised land. Do you believe that? You know, you you lose your job, someone you love dies. Flunking out of college, can't tell mom. That teacher in school's driving me crazy. I've lost confidence in myself. Do you actually think that God hears your cries? Years ago, I read a eulogy by um, William Sloan Coffin. Uh, he, was the pre- he was the minister at the uh, Riverside Church in New York. He had lost his son, Alex, in a terrible car accident up in Boston. Alex, it inadvertently, in a rainstorm, drove off a pier and drowned in the, the river in his car. It was just horrible. When Coffin went up, and this is part of the eulogy, Uh, was talking about the different people who tried to comfort him. He said there were some who were very helpful, and then some who turned God on his head. They said, Reverend, it must have been God's will. And Coffin wasn't very charitable to them. He said God wasn't the one who was supposed to, you know, change the windshield wipers on his dilapidated car. But what he went on to say is to put God where God is, And he said, God didn't cause that to happen, but when that car went into the Charles River and the water started to engulf it, God's was the first heart of all of ours to break. They celebrated that the exodus was the beginning of their lives. And what they celebrated in that moment was that God heard their cries, saw their affliction, Do you believe that? That's who we are, and that's what we believe. Second part of this, don't worry, I'm Presbyterian. There's only three points here. (laughs) We are here, you're here in this sanctuary, because men and women came before you. That's what the people of Israel knew, that there were wandering Arameans, (laughs) Now in our families, it may be our aunts, our uncles, our parents, you know, uh, someone who immigrated from another place, and we celebrate those. That's all important. But we need to remember those who came before us. I have a challenge for you. At around three o'clock this afternoon, would you take just two minutes? I realize you're probably in the second or third quarter of a football game at that point, but take two minutes. And imagine a small town in South Central Pennsylvania, and there a bunch of people have gathered on a cold November day. And they're dedicating a cemetery because a horrible battle had taken place four and a half months before. And some big orator speaks for two hours, two hours, about what it meant. And when he sits down, the president of the United States looks down at his flimsy couple of sheets and wonders, Maybe I didn't prepare enough. So Lincoln gets up and gives the Gettysburg Address, which is the greatest speech ever given, and he gave it in two minutes and sat down and didn't think he'd done a good job. The only part of the Gettysburg Address I think that's wrong is when he says that the world will little note nor long remember what we say here. It's about remembering that 87, oh, excuse me, four score and seven years ago, the Declaration of Independence, that's where they, he knew in history, that's how you got freedom. And then he went on to say, and this generation, when it was their turn, suffered because the brave men living and dead who fought here have consecrated this ground more than we can. If you remember where you've come from, you know who you are. So I did my research this week about this congregation. Here goes. Do you know when this building was built? Do you know why it's here, these church buildings? Do you know the story of the church building across there? What do you know about the tree? Now, you may know things, but you've got a wonderful website, by the way, and some great things that are there. Those are the people who came before you. Wouldn't have this place, this worship place, this beautiful campus without them. When you bring your pledge cards forward, you're saying thank you to them because they gave when it was their turn. It was 1717. George Washington wouldn't be born for 15 years, folks. The Declaration of Independence was 59 years in the future. And your queen had died three years before, Queen Anne. Bet you didn't know that. There were no presidents, no House of Representatives, and because she had no heirs, some German named George came from Germany and became the king of England. George I. By the way, he didn't speak any English. How'd that work out? It was a time of battles between Protestants. It was a difficult time. That's when the log cabin was built here by men and women whose names are in your archives to remember them. I found out that where the tree was there, in 1740, George Whitman, the greatest preacher of the Great Awakening in the mid-1800s, preached under that tree to 3,000 people. It wasn't even Christmas and Easter, 3,000 people right here. And George Washington, by the way, did get born and became you know, the commander of the army and while he was in New Jersey, it said that he would sit under that tree. What a privilege to be part of this history. You are, but you need to remember it and remember how precious it is as you come forward and say thank you to God and them. Point three. It's our turn. Every generation gets to a point where it's our turn. I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm an old baby boomer, but I am I'm part of the Pepsi generation. And um, in many ways, we've had our shot. What have we accomplished? I think some things. But every generation gets to a point where we have the resources to change the world, it's our turn, and maybe I'd like to say that it's our turn now. The challenge I think that is before us is looking to the future and trying to figure out what that might be. What's the future gonna be like? I got to Chatham Township during the Reagan administration. I always like to do that, 1988. When I got there, they had completed the sanctuary 18 years before. It seated 500 people. It was great, particularly on Christmas and Easter. It was great. However, when they built it, there were only like 350 people in the congregation. I asked Bill, who was the chairman of the building committee, why'd you build it so big? You Nobody know what he said? He looked me straight in the eye and he said, Ed, we were expecting all of you. And it worked because the 1990s were pretty good. And we eventually, in the beginning of this century, added onto the building in a beautiful way. Are we expecting the future when we come forward, when it's our turn? Our grandson, youngest grandson, is 15 months old. He thinks I look funny in this, but that's another story. When he is my age, This century will almost be over. What will the world look like? What decisions will we have made to make his life better? How will he ever have known about Jesus if there wasn't a Sunday school teacher to do it? How would we ever be able to provide a world which is safe for him? You know, for your children, your grandchildren. We give for the present, but we imagine the future. That's why I love the things about the tables. And I love what you had to write about. What you did with the kitchens, amazing. What a great idea. Start Mother's Day and end on Father's Day. Done so that you have a ministry for the future. But man, we have to be thinking about Isaac because he ultimately is the future. So, what happened on your time? when it was your turn. I'm going back to the tree for a minute. And this one inspired me. So that tree, if I do the math, we're talking, that thing started growing when Joan of Arc was around. We're talking a long time ago. It was 300 years old when they built the log cabin here. And it became the center of everything you built, including the cemetery. And then when you couldn't keep it alive anymore, what did you do? You turned it into a communion table. If some little girl someday comes up to you, and you are a long time member, and she said, please tell me stories about the tree. Take her out there. I can see it here. Show her that stump. Holy moly, that's big. Let her look at that and have some pictures of what it looked like out here when the tree was in all its glory. And talk about how the entire campus was built around it. And then when she says to you, But it died, what did you do to it? You bring her in and bring her down here. And you point to that and say, We brought it indoors and every service of worship we have in this church, that tree is here. You tell her that, she'll remember you. So when you come forward, if you're going to come forward or if you did it before with your pledges, realize it's a very spiritual thing to do. Remember the God who made you and provides for you. Remember those who came before you and gave and listen to the voice that says, it's my turn now. I know the story at the beginning didn't make a whole lot of sense. Nobody's gonna take an offering on a doomed plane, but, and I don't like the word religious, but I would argue and argued here that taking an offering and receiving pledges on a consecration Sunday is holy. It's a way in which we say to the world, this is who we are. And this is what I believe. (laughs) Amen.